What are you doing here today? I'm preaching. You're here to listen. That's good. Um, so before I get into my sermon, I want to remind you guys that this month begins our uh, We Can Reach More campaign. And the campaign, if you haven't heard, it's really simple. We want to pay off our church building so we can reach more people. Uh, that's the simplest way that I can tell you. It's what the Lord laid on my heart when you... Uh, and it's just like your house, right? You pay stuff off, you have more money to do stuff for the kingdom. And, uh, you know, we can save $400,000 in interest. We can ensure a legacy. We can move forward as a church. And the most important thing is that we have a solid place to worship that as the world changes, no one can ever come in here and tell us we can't preach what we preach. Um, I always have to tell people, man, the church has no money problems. This is just what the Lord has asked us to do. Because sometimes people say, well, is this because the church is having money problems? No, not at all. The time to do it is when you don't have money problems. And, and so all we're asking you to do is to this month pray. On November 24th, we're going to ask you to make a commitment to make a monthly sacrifice for 36 months. And people have asked the question like, well, what if something changes in my life and I lose my job? Well, Take care of your family. Like, we're not going to be like, well, you said, where's that $25? You know what I mean? We're not going to do that. But like, what if I move? And they're like, well, go support that church. Like, because they need you, your help as well. But um, those type of things. And, and I just, I, I want to make it so abundantly clear, man. There's just no pressure. Um, but people get weird. And they're just like, well, man, I'm in this place financially. And I can't. And then they don't want me. Dude, I love you. I like you. But um, we're just moving forward with it. And there's no shame if you can or if you can't. It's just what the Lord is asking us to do. Um, I need you to believe that God has spoken to me and our leadership at this church. And uh, all I'm asking you to do is pray. Say, Lord, what would you have me to do? What would be the sacrifice? And ask that. You know, it's funny. You pray prayers that God will answer. Um, and he always answers that one. So it's good. So the message is this month. And, 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 and even my son is like, Dad, when are we getting back into 2 Samuel? I mean, and it's like, we'll get there. You know, maybe I'll preach on Christmas for five weeks in December. Some of y'all are already listening to the music. So uh, pray against you in Jesus' name. Um, it's all Bible. It's fine. Okay. Um, and people ask, why are we doing this? It's very simple. We're doing it for God so that other people will come and praise his name. That's it. It's all that it is, okay? And so these messages are, are going to lead you to understand why. Why is this so important? And so um, today's message will be uh, the beginning of it, and then we have a few weeks, and then uh, we'll move forward as a, as a church. Amen? Amen? All right, let's pray. Father God, we love you, we praise you, we glorify you in the mighty name of Jesus. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's alive and that it's active and that it's sharper than any double-edged sword. God, we pray today that you'd use this word to change us, challenge us, and to convict us. Father, we pray that this message would be about you and for you and would glorify you. Father, as I've prepared, Lord, would you speak directly through this message? God, I pray that people's lives are changed. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> so the beginning of this, uh, this uh, campaign, I feel like... Uh, I first need to convince you of the value of church and church buildings. These aren't messages that you hear on a regular basis, but those are questions that people ask because um, I understand that you see the value because you're here, but people will actually denigrate a church and a church building while sitting in it. And so these are two common attacks that have come upon the church in the last few decades. First one being, I don't have to be a Christian and go to church. And the other attack being churches don't need buildings. And so 
this morning I'm going to show you in the scriptures why you need to be part of a church if you are a Christian and that churches actually do need buildings and great things happen in them. And, and I always have to have these disclaimers because people love to think things that just have no semblance of reality. When I preach about our church and our excitement for our church, it's not at the expense of other churches that love Jesus. You know, just because you love your family doesn't mean the family across the street is not a good family. But you can be excited about your family. You can be excited about what your family is doing. And I'm excited about what God is doing in Faith and Victory Church. I love you guys. And I love what God does in our church. This, uh, thank you, Paul. I love you to pieces. This doesn't get talked about in churches because this isn't a message that's about you. People love messages that put more money in their pocket and better relationships and all these other things. But when you get this idea and this mindset that says, you know what, my life isn't about me. My life is in Christ and it's about Christ. It will change your life. The reality is that people of God have met in buildings since before Christ and the gathering place of Christians has been and continues to be the greatest evangelistic tool in the world. Many of us were saved in churches. Many of us were saved at at places where there was a pastor and they preached a message and then people come after they get saved, set free from the law of sin and death and then say, well, I don't see a value in a church. I don't see a value in a church building where that was where you actually met God for the very first time. Now, what we're supposed to be doing as a church is worshiping together. When we gather together uh, on the Sabbath and we're we're able to to set aside this day and worship together, we repeatedly gather together and worship God collectively as a congregation. Hebrews 25, excuse me, 1025 says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as in the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. In Acts chapter 2, we see the early church that they were always gathering together. They actually wanted to be together. This Western idea of church of just like, hey, we meet once a week, but we go live our lives is not what you find on the rest of the planet. On the rest of the planet, churches love to be together. They're together all day. They they meet every single day. Psalm 111.1 says, praise the Lord. David speaking, I will praise the Lord with my whole heart in the assembly of the upright and in the congregation. And so we see this in the book of Acts. And I don't have time to get in all the benefits of the book of Acts, but if you want to know what the early church did, read the book of Acts. And, and, and if you read the book of Acts, you see the early church gathered together in buildings. They called them a synagogue. We are Jewish people with a Jewish lineage that are Christians. And so the Jewish people met in a synagogue where there was reading and there was preaching and there was fellowshipping and all these other things. And so it says in Acts 13, 14, but when they departed from Perga, they came to Antioch and Pisidia and went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and sat down. And after reading of the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent to them saying, men and brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say on. And then they let them have it. You can go and you can read this story. But if you notice at the end of after they're done preaching, Acts 13, 42, it says, so when the Jews went out of the synagogue, the building, the Gentiles begged that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath because they had planned to come back next week. And they said, man, that preaching was so good. Would you come back next week in our building and preach to us because this is where we meet? 
Secondly, as a church, we're supposed to be making disciples. This is what we do. We are disciples that make disciples. Uh, and, and so when people come and they join us in worship, then we fellowship with the saints and we await Christ's return, we're making disciples. Salvation is sustained through discipleship. Jesus said, if you love me, obey my commandments. He didn't say, if you love me, go and live life the way that you wanted to live. And I just saved you so you can live life unto yourself. That's not what he said at all. Matthew 28, he said Therefore, go and make disciples. Christianity has never been a spectator sport. It's always been, leave that world, join this world. It's always been, forsake that world, join this world. And so for people that actually came from the world and people that actually got saved, they realize that world has nothing for them and they want to be found in Christ. They want to be connected with the people of God. Christians become the body of Christ. We are the living, breathing example of a living God to a dying world that knows that Christ is real when they see the body of Christ. Colossians chapter 1 verse 24 says, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you, and fill up my flesh, which is lacking in the afflictions of Christ, for the sake of his body, which is the church. Look to the left and right of you. These people are the body of Christ. This is Christ's living, breathing example of his realness on this earth. And then people want to say, well, I'm a Christian, but I don't need to be a part of those people. I don't need to be a part of the body of Christ. I don't need to be a part of God's move on this earth. That's not how the early Christians described it. The, the Greek word is ecclesia. And, and, and this word means a, a popular meeting, especially a religious congregation, Jewish synagogue, or Christian community of members on earth and the saints or in heaven or both. It's an assembly. It's, an, it's a church. This idea of an ecclesia, a, a, a called out, wasn't a calling out to yourself. It wasn't God saved you so you could live unto yourself. It's so he could call you out of one world into the real world of Christ in the body so that you could experience true love and true forgiveness and true grace, everything the world doesn't offer. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 2, 1 and 2, you therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. When Paul placed Timothy over a church, he didn't say, hey man, go find some people. He said, there will be people in the church. Teach them the ways of God so that they can teach other people in the church. This is why church works. It's because I, I teach you uh, what the Bible says and I disciple you and then you in turn disciple other people. And when you get together and you fellowship, it's not so you can just talk about a bunch of nonsense. It's so you can say, this is what the Bible says and this is what the Bible teaches and this is what God wants us to do. And, and, and older women say to younger women and older men say to younger men and they say, this is the path in which you should go and don't stray from it because the word of God says this. It's discipleship, man. I'm who I am because when I got saved, I went to church. When I was 16 years old, I, I found my own way to go to church. No one drove me to church. I went. And when I was there, the older men and women took me in as their son and said, I will teach you and I will show you and I will love you. I wanted to be nowhere else except in Christ's church. As his church, we're awaiting his return. Amen? Amen. Ephesians 5, 27, that he might present her to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. This is why I constantly preach on sin, because sin destroys the church. And if the church is a body and your body is real, if you had an infection on your toe, you wouldn't sit in your chair and put your toe outside the window. You would say, I've got to get rid of this infection in my toe, or it's going to take over my whole body and destroy me. 
We live with an expectation of Christ's return. Many of your problems is because you truly don't believe that Christ is returning at any moment. Oh, he, my, my, the master delays his arrival. He could come at any moment. He, I, I pray and believe and hope. Man, I hope it's on a Sunday. Hallelujah. You know what I mean? Man, I hope we're worshiping and it just, yeah, like I hope that's when it comes, man. I don't want him to come when I'm sleeping. I want it to come in the daylight. I want it to happen. As a church, we've got to conduct church business. And when I say business, it's not a profit deal. I'm saying like everything has it. You, you conduct the business of your house. You've got calendars and plans and things that you need to do. The Bible is clear that there are elders, overseers, apostles, prophets, teachers, pastors, evangelists, and deacons. That's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Eight people that, that, are, that, are, that are described in the church of doing church business. Those eight people together aren't meeting in one living room uh, leading themselves. Like that's, that's just not how it works. The, the Bible even says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Paul is talking to the church and he says, you know what? You have problems and you're going to the world to solve your problems. And he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, the, the world systems which are the least esteemed in the church. Paul says those things don't have any esteem. The structures that God creates, those are to be the most esteemed. Those are the ones that are supposed to be revered and submitted to. That's what Paul says. The Bible is clear that uh, 1 Timothy 3.15, he says, But if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. We're not in here to get out of the rain. We're not here to listen to good songs or have our kids. Like, and it's funny because like, oh, you know, I like the kids group. Or I like the youth group. Or I like the music or whatever. That's not even what it's about, man. This place is the pillar and ground of the truth on this earth it's to be revered now listen I'm gonna read you these scriptures and (laughs) hold it stay with me okay there's there's so many scriptures in this message because I want you guys to realize this isn't my opinion this is God's opinion and and in this season I really want to encourage you go listen this message again online look at the scriptures as we're going through it read them all now listen I'm gonna give you piecemeal of some scriptures stay with me okay I'm not giving you the address because I got to rattle through these but you can look them up online but I'm showing you the value of church ready let's go I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Tell it to the church. The Lord added to the church daily. So great fear came upon all the church to the ears of the church. They assembled with the church and taught a great many people. Prayer was offered to God for him by the church and they appointed elders in every church. Now when they had come and gathered the church together, so being sent on their way by the church, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders. Then it pleased the apostles and elders with the whole church strengthening the churches so the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily greeted the church shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood who is a servant of the church the churches of Christ greet you I teach everywhere in every church so I ordain in all the churches give no offense to the church of God when you come together as a church and God has appointed these in the church he who prophesies edifies the church let it be for the edification of the church therefore if the whole church comes together in one place I've given 
orders to the churches. The churches of Asia greet you. They are messengers of the church before the churches. My deep concern for all the churches to be head over all things to the church to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. Christ is the head of the church and he is the savior of the body. The church is subject to Christ. Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her that he might present her to himself a glorious church. This is a great mystery but I speak concerning Christ and the church and he is the head of the body the church for the sake of his body which is the church became imitators of the churches of God which are in Judea in Christ Jesus for if a man does not know how to rule his own house how will he take care of the church of God and do not let the church be burdened to the general assembly and the church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven let him call for the elders of the church who have borne witnesses of your love before the church I wrote to the church putting them out of the church to the seven churches which are in Asia the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches he who has ear let him hear what the spirit says to the churches I Jesus have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches I am the root and the offspring of David the bright and morning star amen and then people want to say I don't need to go to church Really? Really? Because I I really think if you read your Bible, you would see the value of church. I I love church, man. Like, I love church. I love being together. Even when I'm on vacation, I go and I find a church to worship at because I want to be in church. It's how I meet these pastors all over the place because I want to meet, you know, Timothy Brock in Alamogordo, New Mexico, man. We become friends because I went to his church. People ask the question, why is the building so important and need to be established? Because churches in the Bible had public meeting places. And they're all over the world, man. You can go anywhere in the world and you will see churches. You need to convince people of a value of a church building because people denigrate them constantly. People will be like, oh, well, you know, churches don't need buildings. Why do they need those things? And I'll tell you why. Because they don't see any value in doing something for God. They say, well, you know, that money should be used for something else. Uh, And and that's the same heart as Judas. Uh, You know, in John 12, 5 and 6, you know, they poured oil on Jesus. And Judas said, why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had a money box and used to take what was put in it. And people will say things like, well, you know, the Bible, they met in houses. And they did meet in houses when they were persecuted. Because when they were being persecuted, they had to meet in caves and surreptitiously because Rome was trying to kill all the Christians and forcing them to worship false gods. And so because of life, they had to go and meet in houses. It's no different in today in China. They're literally bulldozing down churches. And so the church in China has to meet in houses. They don't want to meet in houses. They want to meet publicly. They want to go out and meet publicly. And then we're in America being like, oh, you know, why do we got to meet publicly? And you go talk to a Chinese Christian like, man, you should see what you're able to do publicly. I wish we could be public. But they also met in public places, synagogues and public meeting places. You can read about archaeological finds that they find that the people of God had buildings with altars and mosaics and all these other things that people used to worship God. 
Now, Colossians 4, 15 and 16, it says, uh, uh, Greet the brethren who are in Laodicea and Nymphus and the church that is in his house. Now, when this epistle is read among you, see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans and that you likewise uh, read the epistle from Laodicea. It shows those two things of like, yes, some people met in the houses, but a lot of them met publicly. And so he said, read this in both of them. Um, I, I was going so fast, I missed this scripture in first service, so y'all get the extra today. Um, uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, you, you, you know what's funny is you, you research a sermon like this, and all of a sudden something jumps off the page, and you never saw it before. I'm like, man, I've read this thing a hundred times. Why, why, where did the Lord hide this? So today's communion, right? <laughs> Um, now, it says conduct at the Lord's Supper. So there's instructions on how you're supposed to do a Lord's Supper inside of the church. Yep. Go figure. Now, in giving these instructions, I do not praise you since you come together, not for the better, for the worse. First of all, when you come together as a church, so he's describing that people are coming together. I hear that there are divisions among you, and in part, I believe it. For there's also be factions among you that, that those who are approved may be recognized among you. Therefore, when you come together in one place, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. So he's describing a church, the church, the Corinthian church. It's funny. Paul wrote letters to the church in Corinth and Ephesus and Colossae and Rome and all these different places. It wasn't at the expense of these other churches. He said, you know what? This is your church. This is your city. This is what you do. This is what they do in other cities. Okay. For in eating, each one takes his own supper ahead of others, and one is hungry and another is drunk. So they're getting down, right? They're, they're indulging in food and getting drunk at church. What? Now watch this. In verse 22, I never saw this before. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Do you notice that? Do you not, do you not have houses to eat and drink in? By implication, he's saying, you're coming into the church and acting like you're at home, Instead of treating it as a holy thing when you gather together. Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Because they they had came out of their houses and now they're greeting each other publicly in a public place of worship. You guys see it? Why is a church building so important to a group of believers called a church? First, it establishes it as a permanent fixture in the community in which it resides. People who are in the community recognize it as a landmark. I would much rather people say it's down there by faith and victory, not by the place where they sell coffee and the women don't wear any clothes. It it, it establishes it publicly and says, this is a a city that has Christians. This is a city that has a moral base. And whether it's us or it's Grace or it's Stone or it's New Day, those churches say something to the community in which we live to say, there's people of God that are surrounding you. It says we're here, and it says build a life. It's a place of symbolism and reflection. You're reminded of what God does when you see a church building. You know, years ago, I went on a mission trip to Mexico, and it was very interesting because uh, in the places where we go build houses, there's the poorest of the poor that are there, right? We went to go build a house for a lady who didn't have any house. We come to find out she was in charge of the church building, and she was sleeping behind the church building because she didn't want to sleep inside of God's house where she could have because she had the keys and she was so excited because she had continued to tithe and give and serve her church sleeping outside until she was able to get a house built for her i mean it's it's literally stuff like that when you see in america that people just they don't live that type of way at all 
Clarkson, this guy said this, he said, if some places have a peculiar sanctity, it is that every place may be holy ground to us that we may find God everywhere and in everything, that we may worship and serve him in every sphere and on occasions whatsoever. Still, the feeling rests on a basis of truth that we know that there was a most holy place. See, what, what, what does he mean by that is that God can be found everywhere. You can find him in his car, in his car, in your car. You can find it. He's got a Dodge. And so um, uh, you can find God in your car. You can find him in your house. You can find him in the woods. You can find him on a lake. You can find him everywhere. But as people of God, we can set aside a place collectively and say, let's go there to worship him. Let's set aside this place where we can worship him. Let's, let's let this be the place where we fellowship and that we do the, do the business of a church together. See, I grew up in a little stone, uh, a, a church with stone floors in Ballard. It was called uh, Calvary uh, Lutheran Church. And that was the place where I first reached out to God. I was five years old. I, I became very aware of the fact that there was a heaven and there was a hell and I didn't want to go to hell and I wanted to go to heaven. My mom drove to the church because we had to pick up my brother from... Uh, 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 choir practice. And I remember I was like five, six years old and I had to get inside of the church and I went into the library and I wanted to look at a picture of Jesus because in my little mind, I figured if I can see a picture of Jesus, I won't go to hell. And I just, I, I, that, that place is just holy to me, man, to be able to go there and look at it and, and remember what God did in that place is, is, is special. It's sanctified. Except that church went out of business and there's condos there now. And so when you drive to that corner, that church doesn't exist because it wasn't protected, because it wasn't, it wasn't revered. It wasn't to say, you know what, people of God have, have done great things in this place. Let's set it apart and sanctify it. Clarkson said, apart from any independent and any act of formal consecration, the place where we gather together to worship God, the place we hold holy and happy fellowship with Christ, the place where we listen with eager mind and fervent spirit to his divine truth. This is hollowed ground to us. These are sacred spots which we tread reverently, where we feel near to God, which will always be peculiarly dear to our hearts. And people say, well, you know, isn't God everywhere? And he is. But you know, like if you go to a family cabin that's been in your cabin for a lot of years or been in your family for a lot of years, you go there and you remember people that have passed. You remember family events that you had there. It doesn't bring people back from the dead. Their spirits aren't there. But you've set apart that place to say this is where we gather as a family to experience the connectedness that we have together. Now, historically churches, it used to be that people would be married through the front door and buried out the back door. And that people would have one church and they would stay there for their whole entire life. You can go, we were in uh, New York City last summer, you go to St. Paul's Church and there's big plaques on the side of the wall of like families that erected plaques because they said we were born in this church, our family died in this church, and this is our church. You can go and see the place where George Washington's pew was because that was his church. I was able to go and visit the grave of my great-grandfather, Stanley uh, Crichunas, in, in St. Paul, Illinois. And where was his grave? Right outside the Lutheran church that he had, that he had attended, because that's what they do. 
And, 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 and people say, well, you know, I don't understand the power of a building. Folks, our church has almost tripled in size when we moved from the warehouse. And God did great things in that warehouse. And God blessed that warehouse. It was fantastic. But I can't describe to you how many times I saw people that drove up to the warehouse and saw it was a warehouse and then drove away. Because in the unsaved mind, even the unsaved person knows, like, how can God be found in a warehouse? <laughs> The reason why people say things like, well, I'm not going to go into that church. The, the, it'll fall down on top of me. is because even people that don't know God see value in a church building. If it's not a public meeting place that's easy to find, people are at the whim of the individual to reach out to them and share the gospel with them. And frankly, that doesn't work. Typically, people that go to the house church model do us for no more because they don't want to deal with the ickiness. They don't want to deal with the weirdness. They don't want to deal with having to deal with people from every background, with every socioeconomic deal, whatever. They just don't want to do it. So they're like, well, we want to meet in the house and it's us for no more. And they don't be able to reach out to people that uh, need the gospel. Amen. Here's what's interesting about a church building. We don't sleep here. Well, some of you do during my sermons, but we don't, uh, we don't do medicine here. We don't fix our cars here. We worship here. And we collectively at the church, and I understand our church has gotten bitter, bigger, but think about like if you and me and a couple other families were in Iraq and we said, hey man, let's find a place where we can worship God. Like we've, we've led some more people to Christ. Our living room is, is running out of space. Why don't we put together, pool together our money and let's buy a place that we can go worship God together. You'd be like, yeah, man, that makes sense. And then all of a sudden it's a couple bigger numbers and a few more people. And all of a sudden people are like, oh, I don't know, that makes sense. Now, when, when we decide to sanctify a place that we worship God collectively, it doesn't say that God isn't over all the earth. It doesn't say that this is the only place to find God. Quite contrary, we just set it apart. We set it apart. We collectively decide what, ha- what has value. And, and, and certain rooms are meant for certain things. It, it grosses me out like if anybody's ever eating in the bathroom. That's not what you do there. Right? If you want to change your sleep schedule, quit laying in bed to watch TV. Get in your bed when it's time to sleep. We, we, we set apart, this is our living room. This is my workplace. You don't like to bring work home because you work at work and you home at home. You library in a library and you hospital in a hospital and you church in a church. We at Faith and Victory say this is for God. Now, everything else in this world is organized and has a structure. And for some reason, it comes to Christianity. And people think it's some sort of hodgepodge, thrown together kind of endeavor. And it's just not true. Even my kids' sports programs and their booster clubs have bylaws and organizations and leaders and everything else. And somehow people come in after reading the whole entire Bible. Well, God is a God of structure and order and design and tells us measurements of things and then come to Christianity like, then you just want to kind of hang out and figure it out. It's like, no, that's not it at all. We serve a God of order. And the Bible is full of references to synagogues and temples and houses and other structures. Revelation 21 talks about a great city and a new Jerusalem. The new Jerusalem and the great city is filled with, watch this, buildings. That's what it's filled with. We are spiritual Jews. We came from temples and buildings. The Jews from whom Christianity derived worshiped in synagogues and temples that Jesus never spoke against. He never spoke against buildings. 
buildings. He never spoke against synagogues. He went into the synagogue and actually did ministry there. There was a centurion that needed a chill, uh, his kid healed, Luke chapter 7. And when they came to Jesus, they begged him earnestly saying that the one for whom should do this was deserving. For he loves our nation and has built us a synagogue. And so Jesus is like, that sounds like a good deal because he built a building for God. Let's go and heal this guy. Thirdly, heaven will have buildings. And Jesus speaks of heaven having buildings. John 14, 2, in my father's house, there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. The early Christians worshiped in homes because they were afraid of death. It wasn't because they didn't want to meet publicly. Jewish people met publicly in synagogues. And so the early Christians, because they were being attacked and killed, had to hide. In, in 250 AD, there was a wide persecution. And if you guys don't know 250 AD, that's like 1750 years ago. And, and the persecution took place as a consequence of an edict by the emperor uh, Decius. And then in uh, th- uh, 303, another emperor, uh, Diocletian, watch this, issued an edict. This emperor issued an edict, destroying of churches, burning of the Holy Scriptures, and confiscation of church property. So in the third century, an emperor says, let's destroy their buildings, take their property, and destroy their scriptures. Why would he say that if churches didn't have property and didn't have buildings? He didn't say, go house to house and find them. He said, no, we know exactly where there are. They're in the public meeting places, and I'm the emperor. I'm taking their buildings. I'm taking their land, and we're going to destroy those people. And so what happens is later in the third century, there was another edict that legally Christianity. And, and so when you go and you can go to Wikipedia and search like oldest church buildings in the world, you will find that, that a lot of them started after the third century because Christianity was no longer illegal. And so people are like, great, let's start building these churches. Let's start doing everything that we can so that people can worship God. And it was no, and, and, and the legal part of it's so different. Like back then, some dude had a bunch of acres and said, hey man, you can have the back acre, build whatever you want and build a tree. We just live in a world now that has icky things like permits. You know what I mean? It's just, it's a little bit different. Okay. Christians whose belief system developed from Judaism would also eventually, especially after persecution ceased, have buildings of worship just as the Jews did. The Bible sanctions Christian church buildings. Matthew 4.23, and Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their buildings, the synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. He didn't stand outside and say, I'm against buildings, come outside so I can talk to you. No, he went into those buildings. Uh, Acts 9.2, and it talks about Paul and how he went to look for Christians to kill. He sent letters to synagogues so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. The place that Paul went looking for Christians was in synagogues because he knew that that's where the Christians were meeting. And so he set out to destroy and kill Christians to persecute them by looking for them in buildings. The value of the church is that we're a publicly gathered body of believers. Now, (laughs) you're literally inside of a church building, listening to a pastor, organized by bylaws and structure, having to be convinced it's the right biblical way to do it. And, 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 And the reason why I'm preaching this whole entire message is I want you to internalize it. I don't, I don't want this to be something that, that like, 
that like you think about out there, I want you to think about it in here. And whether you travel or whether you go somewhere else, that you look at, at God's church as a holy, sanctified thing purchased with the blood of Jesus. The body of Christ being important. The, the, the buildings that Christ's people meet in being important. Many people believe in churches and church buildings until you ask them to support them. Then they scoff at the idea of their importance, but it's vitally important. Folks, you're here. Our relationship is uh, started based on the church. That's how I got to know you. This is, this is how our relationship flourishes. It's because of the church. And then people say, well, I don't, I don't really see a, a value in, in the church when it's literally the center of our relationship, not only just with you, with me, but with us, with each other. It's a holy, sanctified, beautiful thing that people treat as something so common. And I get it, man. You've been told by many a pastor that you're a temple of the Holy Spirit. And you are. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 3.16. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and the Spirit of God dwells inside of you? Yes, but we cannot all meet inside of you. We can't do that. We can't. You think these chairs are tight? It'll even be tighter inside of your heart, okay? 1 Kings 8.27. Old Testament, but God, but will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain you. How much less this temple which I have built? Even and people say, well, Old Testament, God resided in a temple. That's not true. Even the, the the builders of the temple realized that the temple itself could not contain all of who God was because He's bigger than a building. You can't contain God in a building. But there is enormous value in establishing a church that will never go away until Christ's return. And having a debt-free building ensures that. We want this to outlive us. I, I want to be able to do the marriages of your kids. And I want to prepare this church for the, <laughs> the poor soul that's going to take this thing over. That, uh, that young man, sometime in my 60s, God will tap me on the shoulder and be like, your time is done and over. And I will rejoice and that young man will take over this debt-free church and be able to continue to preach the gospel unencumbered because he doesn't live under the fear of man. See, people uh, over the centuries, even in the third century, the early church fathers envisioned the church as an ark. The church is an ark. It's, it's not a common thing. And you guys all know the story of Noah's ark, right? Yeah, it's the boat and the thing and two by two and everybody died, right? In Noah's Ark, there was only one source of light. All this has scriptural backing. Find it online. In Noah's Ark, there was one source of light because there was only one window. In the Church of Christ, there is one source of light, the Bible. In Noah's Ark, there was one entrance or door to the Ark. And in the church, there's only one entrance, Christ the door. On the Ark, there was only one family inside. In the church, there's only one family inside. In Noah's Ark, there was one Ark. There was no other boats. There's only one church. There's no other organizations. No parachurch organization, no mission organization is going to heaven. Only the church. In the ark, they were saved by water. In the church, were saved through baptism. In the ark, there was destruction to all those outside of the ark. In the church, there is destruction to all those outside of the church. In the ark, Noah had work to do to feed the animals. In the church, there is work to be done. In the church, Noah's ark had one hope, life on a new world. In the church, we have one hope, life eternal with Jesus. Amen?
Even in the Old Testament, God could not be contained in buildings. They built a temple and they said in 1 Kings that your eyes may be open towards this temple night and day, toward the place of which you said, my name shall be there, that you may hear the prayer which your servant makes towards this place and may hear the supplication of your servant and of your people Israel. When they pray towards this place, here in heaven, your dwelling place, and when you hear, forgive. Well, uh, that scripture simply says that they built a temple to God and there was a place which they prayed and they, they realized that God is not sitting here waiting to hear your prayers. But when we collectively come together and we pray to God, this becomes a place that we sanctify to him. Acts 17, 24 says, God who made the world and everything in it, since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshiped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives all gives to all life, breath, and all things. I'm completely clear with the fact that God does not live in a building. He dwells in the heavens, but the meeting place becomes a place of consecrated value that symbolizes the place where we choose to worship God. We choose it. We choose and say, you know what? We want to set apart a place where we can worship God together. And the person that gets the most benefit from it is him. He gets the benefit of us uh, loving each other the way that he designed. He gets the benefit of us worshiping him the way that he designed, that we might present ourselves to him, a glorious church without spot or blemish, because it's for him. It's for his glory. It's so his name. Jesus said, if I be lifted up over all the earth, I will draw all men unto myself. And so we lift up his name and we praise his name over all the earth. And then people are drawn in to fellowship with him. Amen. We as the people of faith and victory church should want our church to endure. Not at the expense of any other church, man. I want every other church to endure as well. I want those people to make heaven. I want those people to reach the lost. There's 75,000 people in Auburn and about 6,000 of them go to church. There's a lot of people that need Jesus in this town, man. Our church, our, our city has 30 churches. Christians in Cedar Rapids, they have 300 churches in a city of 50,000. We're in a city of 75,000. We've got 30 churches. I think we need some more churches. Amen? All I ask you as you leave today is if you've downplayed the church, repent. If you've downplayed a building, repent. And say, do you know what, Lord? I see great value in the church. I want to be part of your body. Whatever, whatever body it may be, I want to be part of your body. Would you close your eyes? Would you bow your heads? We always end our messages asking if anybody would like to become a Christian. And if you've never given your life to Christ, if you've never made that decision to say, you know what, I want to leave my life of sin and I'm going to live a life with Jesus. It's really quite easy. You turn away from sin, fall into the arms of Jesus. He will forgive you. And then you don't live the way that you used to live. And if you've never made that decision before and you'd say, you know what, pastor, I want to spend eternity with Jesus. I want to live my life for him. You've never made that decision. We want to pray with you. And I'd like, I just ask you to raise your hand right now and say, that's me. I need to give my life to Jesus. Is there anybody that needs to do that for the very first time? Hand held high. Maybe you've been far from God 
And you say, man, pastor, I knew the truth and it's been years since I've been in church or God's been knocking on the door of my heart. I, I don't know how I lost my way, but I did. And I need to come back to Jesus. Friend, he's right behind you. Just turn around and fall into his arms. He never left you. You just turned around. Turn back to him. Renew your heart towards him once again. And if you'd like us to pray with you this morning about that decision, I want you to raise your hand right now as well and say, that's me. I need to come back to Jesus. Father, we thank you for today, God. God, I thank you for this message, Lord. I, I pray that it came out from your heart. God, let us, let us love church. Not a building, because it's just the people. Let us revere you, because it's for you, God, that we could worship your name, that we could lift you up. Praise and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's all stand up. So right after this, don't forget, go get your kids. They meet you. Hang out at the AMC. Get to know each other. Love on each other. Let's pray. Lord, we give you honor. We glorify your holy name, Father. We thank you for your word today, God. We thank you for the church, oh God. We pray, Father, as we head out this, this week, oh God, that you take that word, God, and, 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 and put it in our hearts, oh King of glory, God, and let the Holy Spirit define to us, oh God, what we need to do, where we are, God, and how, Father, we can honor you and honor your church, oh God. We praise you and we honor you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for watching the Faith and Victory live stream. If you'd like to learn more about our church, please check us out online at faithandvictory.com. We're also on Facebook, Twitter,